Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Hey, good morning, Cross family. It's a great day to be alive and so good to see you here today. If you've got your Bibles or the ESV journals that we're using, I invite you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we'll be today. And if I had to title our talk, I would title it Overcoming Oppression, Overcoming Oppression. And uh, when we dive into this, I think you'll see some of the richness of what God has done by his grace to free us so that we can walk with him uh, in a very joyful, thankful way. If you missed last Sunday, I would highly encourage you to get online. Nick did a phenomenal job breaking down grace. All of our sermons are online, but I would, I would really encourage you to go back and grab uh, what my brother Nick spoke. I mean, that was such a powerful time, Nick. Thank you, uh, again, just for your prep and your heart of um, delivery. If you're watching online today, we're so glad that you're with us. And as Rachel said, Wednesday night, our face-down service is such a phenomenal time. I think it's so important to get together uh, collectively as a body and be able to worship. And so our face-down, it's just an incredible time of worshiping God together uh, collectively, as well as it's a time of having communion. It's a time of interceding, praying for different needs. And so please make that a priority. Wednesday night, 7, let's get together and really blow it out and make it just an incredible uh, time together. Just a quick review. I like to kind of look back before we look ahead. And just a quick review as we've uh, challenged you, every person here, I've challenged you to memorize uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I think it's one of the strongest passages in the New Testament, even in the Bible for us. I would encourage you to memorize that and, and, and allow that word to saturate your heart. But just looking back, we established that grace saved us. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't even deserve. And every person in this room right now, David Farmer, we're here because of God's grace, brother. I mean, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we don't have a chance. And, uh, and, and God in his grace not only made us, not only redeemed us, not only uh, continues to walk with us every day, but man, what a gift it is. And we, we established that it, it's a free gift. We can't do anything to work for it. Uh, but even though it's a free gift, it's a very costly gr uh, gift because the Son of God, Jesus, our Messiah, the Lamb of God, willfully died a criminal's death on the cross to e extend that gift to us. What an amazing gift God has given us. And because of God's grace, he invites us to place our faith in Christ in him only, not in our works, not in our uh, performance, not in any religious system. He goes, hey, it's all about Jesus. And then he says, as you do this and as you place your faith in me, I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit in you and I'm, I call you my masterpiece. You're unique. You're a one-of-a-kind piece of art. Man, I'm for you. I want to see you flourish. So that's, that's a quick review if we look back. Now, Picking it up into uh, verse 11. Here's what Paul continues to write. Therefore, and again, if you're new to the faith or maybe you've been around it for a little bit, but anytime you read the word therefore, you always stop and say, what is it therefore? And you go back and again, you make sure that you understand the previous piece. All right, Andrew, that is so important. When you see the word therefore, stop, look back and go, therefore, in, in light of what God just said and what the Lord has just given us, okay? Therefore, remember, and I'm, I'm gonna play on this word. It's very important, but remember that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. This is important as he breaks this down. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. That, that's, that, that's how you were labeled. The Jews were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. God's offer of salvation, if you study, was first extended to the Jew. Now, the scripture says that he came into his own and his own received him not. So the offer of God's salvation, of deliverance, initially came to the Jewish people, but they rejected him. Paul would even say in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation. He says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, I would write this down because I find this very fascinating. 
Gentile, the word Gentile is kind of a broad stroke word, and it means non-Jewish people. So when you read the word Gentile, it referred to who you were not. It was labeled, you're less than, you're not God's people, you, you're not that important, it, you're not being blessed by God. It, it, it was a reference of who you were not. And as he unpackages this, I think a lot of people live every day based on who they're not. I'm not pretty, I'm not smart, I'm not, and, and, and any time you start to put an emphasis on the not, man, it's going to jack you up. But that's how the Jews viewed the Gentiles, you're not. And the Gentiles were oppressed people. The Jews oppressed the Gentiles, the non-Jews, if you will. So someone oppressed is under the control of someone else. And they're being taken advantage of and treated in a harsh way. So when you, when you think of oppression, oppression is around us every day. And, 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 and you always have an oppressor, and then you have that which is being oppressed. But we were watching something the other day. Uh, Julie, our uh, girl who's on staff with us, does a midweek Bible study. And it's been phenomenal to see the traction and the growth of, of that study over the years. But they're going through the Old Testament, but I, I, I kind of slipped in at the end and was hanging out with my, my friend Hazel, one of the ladies in our church, and she was watching the previous week. But it was breaking down the two sisters, uh, Leah and Rachel. And this is so phenomenal because if you read the scripture, it says uh, Leah was kind of a homely looking girl. She wasn't attractive and Rachel was kind of bringing it. She would have been on the cover of the magazine. She was beautiful. And, and it talks about even how Leah, uh, she suffered oppression because of the way she looked. So we oppress people because of the way they look. We oppress people because of their uh, education. There, there's so many ways that people are treated harsh or cruel in our world. But you always have the oppressor in order to have the oppressed. And the Jews were the oppressor. They were pressing down and taking advantage of other people that were non-Jews. And once you enter into that mindset, and people do this today, it is, I am superior and you are inferior mindset. And so the Jews had this mindset, we're the insiders, you're the outsiders. Now, I read this quote to Nick the other day and I said, think about this. Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass made this statement in the mid-1800s. And it sounds like he made it yesterday. He said, where justice is denied... Where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. This is a brilliant prophetic word from Frederick Douglass that was made in the mid-1800s, and it's so relevant and still true today. And I'm telling you, if you live under oppression, you can only endure it for so long. And the Jews had oppressed the Gentiles. They had beat them down mentally and spiritually. And when you read the text here in Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers that were Gentiles by birth. They were non-Jews. So this church was started with non-Jews. Now, Paul would take the gospel to Jewish people, but this church was planted and birthed with non-Jewish people. Now, let's break it down. Verse 11 says, remember, remember. When you see the word remember, it is not a suggestion, it is a command. He's not suggesting that you look back. He's commanding, I want you to remember, remember. Remember when you were lost. Remember when you were separated from God. Remember when you were alienated. Remember when you didn't belong. Remember. And the word remember is not used in a way that says, I want you to live in guilt and shame when you remember. That's not the emphasis here. Because the enemy would love you to go back and replay video of when you're separated, alienated, doing your own thing in the flesh, and the enemy wants to keep you as a hostage in, in, in his attempt. God is saying, remember? Re remember when you walked away from me? Remember when you wouldn't trust in me? 
Remember when you were trying to get your needs met apart from me? I, I want you to remember what you were when I saved you, and I want you to remember what you've been saved from, and I, I, I want you to remember now what you've been saved to, okay? It's, it's very important. Now, Paul would also say in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing we do, we're forgetting what lies behind. But the word forget and remember are very similar because when he uses the word forget, what he's saying is, I don't want you to be influenced and defined and affected by that anymore. So when you remember, you're not being influenced and affected. You're not living in the guilt and shame of it. So they're very similar words. Now, so important when you study scripture, and I think it's so important with where we're living right now. Hey, I want you to remember. And remember is an invitation. Remember is a gift to say, I want you to remember so that you're joyful. I want you to remember so that you're thankful. I want you to remember so that you live with a heart of appreciation. And, 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 and David, listen to this. David, even when he writes Psalm 51, after he's royally jacked it up, and he's one of the heroes of the faith, he goes, hey, guys, a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. And contrition is the ability to remember the pain of, of, of doing life apart from God, but remembering the joy of your salvation that God brings in it. Nick, it's so important. So I look at it and I go, man, I want to be able to remember. Remember is a gift. I don't want to forget my waywardness, but I don't want to forget what I got saved out of. I don't want to forget what I got saved to. And we do it every Sunday here. We do it every Sunday where Jesus said, as often as y'all meet, I want you to remember what I've done. As often as you get together, and, and that's why, like five or six years ago, we said, we're going to make communion available every Sunday for the believer, for the redeemed of the Lord, so that we can say, thank you, yes, out of appreciation and gratefulness, thank you for the cross, thank you for dying, thank you for the shed blood, thank you, Jesus, thank We want to remember, we never want to forget that, and we don't want to abuse the communion table. We want to remember it to draw us back to a heart of purity. So I, I think about that, and I'm like, man, you remember when you were stuck in sin? You remember those restless nights, Tim? You remember waking up with a hangover? You, you remember being so wayward? You remember being flooded with anxiety? Tim, Tim you remember? Now, 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 now do, do you see how much freedom and joy and peace and hope and power you're walking in? Oh, I, I want you to remember what I've done for you, Paul. I want you to remember, stop, stop. I want you to bow. I want you to bow. And before the Lord, I want you to give thanks. I want you to remember. I want you to remember the ruins that he rescued you out of. I want you to remember the miry clay, just the mire that you were stuck in. I want you to remember he's picked you up and he's planted your feet on the rock. He's given you hope and he's putting a new song in your heart today. Father, thank you. Thank you for restoration. Thank you for redemption. Thank you that even though we cry out to you and say, save us, then we walk away. The game's not over and as long as we have a, a breath, we have a prayer and as long as we have a breath, we, we can run back to you. So, Father, I just want to say thank you. And, Father, I pray that every person under my voice right now in this room, online, that they would just take time today, this space right now, this moment, and even over the next days, and that they would just write down things that they, they're just thankful for, things they're just grateful for. Lord, prayers of confession and repentance and surrender. We just want to say thank you. Amen. Now, verses 11 and 12, it reveals five things about our condition before we were saved. 
This is interesting. You can read through this kind of quickly and miss it, but I think it's important to hit it. The first point he lays out when, I want you to remember, is this. Hey, you guys remember you were Gentiles? You were called uncircumcised heathens. Now, a huge difference was between the Jew and the Gentile was circumcision. It's interesting. God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, before Abraham, there was no distinction. And God set apart Abraham and the Jews as his chosen people. And then God made a covenant to Abraham saying, here's what I want to do. I want to bless you. I want to bless your seed. And you're and you are going to be a blessing to the other nations. Don't miss this. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your lineage. I'm going to bless your seed. But you are to be a blessing to the other nations. You read in Genesis 17, God told Abraham, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to now, based on covenant I'm making with you, I want you to circumcise all men. All the men. Then... I want you to start circumcising all the newborns on the eighth day. I'm reading this again, pondering this whole concept, and I'm like, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, God, you want me to do what? Are you sure about that? Okay, so I'm supposed to do it, then how am I supposed to do it? He goes, I want you to take a flint rock, a flint rock. You want me to take a rock? Yes. And you, you sure you want me to do this? Could you imagine looking at your people that are grown men saying, hey, I've heard from God. You've heard from who? Well, here's what God wants me to do. And let's say you've got hundreds of men. And in my mind, I'm standing there going, all right, which one of y'all Wants to go first. I'm reading this going, I'm not going first. Okay, Abraham, if God has made this covenant, you're going to have to perfect your skill on a few other dudes before I get in line. I read this and I'm like, God made a covenant. Circumcision was an outward sign that they belonged to God. It was symbolic of we're cutting away the flesh, meaning... I want people to know that you're my people and my presence is dwelling with you, but we've got to cut away fleshly behavior and fleshly acts. We've got to get rid of it. So the Jews considered any uncircumcised male that they met to be outside of God's will, outside of God's blessing. They're not under God's leadership and care. That, that's the emphasis there, Juan. So the Jews were so proud of this outward statement, and they despised anybody else that was not circumcised. They despised. And I'm like, what a crippling mindset. I despise you. Hate. And, but we live there today with people that don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, think like us. If we're not careful, the spirit of arrogance and pride can kick in, and we start to look down on others. We treat others as if they're inferior. But I was thinking through this again, like, how do you ask another dude that question? Hey, Paul, man, before we can fellowship, dude, I know it is a weird icebreaker, but I got to ask you this question. I'm like, how did they go about doing it? I, I don't even know how you get there. Now, again, when you read the scripture, if you read through it, my mind goes crazy places when I'm like, how do you break the ice with another dude? I, 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 I mean, it's like, well, you got to show me. I mean, you don't go there. I don't even know how you do that. Maybe you can read this and not have those kind of thoughts, but I'm like, but God makes a covenant with Abraham. And here's what he tells him. Abraham, I'm going to use you. And your descendants, do not miss this. I'm going to use you and your descendants to bless the other nations. I'm going to use you to bless the other nations. God had set apart Israel. The problem was many of the Jews saw the blessing as a reason to boast and be proud 
and to think they were superior to others. God never made the covenant with Abraham so that the Jews would become arrogant and prideful and egotistical and arrogant. But we do that sometimes. God blesses us with a gift to sing. And before we know it, we start to use that gift as a gift of pride. God gifts us with the ability to speak and proclaim truth. And if we're not careful, we can get to a place of pride. God blesses us with certain skill sets and abilities. And if we're not careful, we start to think that the blessing is about us. Anytime God blesses us, anytime, it's to be for the glory of God and the benefit of someone else. That's the only reason God would bless us. I'm blessing you because I'm a graceful, good God, but I want you to glorify me, and I want you to be an encouragement and a blessing to others. But if we're not careful, we end up just kind of with this ego, like, look at me. You didn't stand in line for it. I didn't stand in line for any gift. So God's blessings should never lead to pride. And God was not pleased with the arrogance of the Jewish people. He looked and he goes, you have perverted the blessing. And the Gentiles had suffered so much at the hands of the Jew. And it's amazing that when you suffer at the hands of someone else, if you're not careful, you begin to resent the person that you've suffered from and you become bitter and enraged. And Paul is writing them saying, don't, don't go there Don't let your mind go there. God has graced you. God is now including you. That's where he's going. I know if you look back, the tendency is to get mad about. And I think a lot of people, Clark, get there. Here's some of the stuff when you were, if you study it. Now, I want you to hear this. There's some of the stuff that the Jews believed about Gentiles at that time. Hannah Joy. The Jews believed that God created Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. It's insane. It was against the law to help a Gentile woman in childbirth because that meant you were bringing another Gentile into the world. Hate, discrimination, superiority of thought. If a Jew married a Gentile, the funeral for that Jew was carried out immediately. You're mixing it. It's not of God. Contact with a Gentile was equivalent to death. You're dead to us now. To go into a Gentile house for a Jew made that person unclean. When a Gentile would go on a trip and before he would come back into Israel, he would dust his feet off because he didn't want to bring the stench of Gentile dirt back into the holy land. You you see how jacked up blessing can become and gifts can become and, and abilities can become if they're leveraged to keep others oppressed and to hold them hostage, man, they were arrogant. Man, they despised. And I can tell you that discrimination at any level is wrong, and I can tell you that discrimination at any level is sin. God hasn't called us to discriminate and beat other people up. God hasn't called us to put other people down. Even in verse 11, Paul mocked the arrogance of the Jewish mindset. Paul was a Jew. Paul was circumcised on the eighth day according to the tribe of Benjamin. Read Philippians 3. And Paul mocks this and he goes, Jewish circumcision has nothing more done by the hands of men to the flesh. It doesn't touch the heart. In Philippians 3, he goes, Jewish circumcision is nothing more. You guys are mutilators of the flesh. This is a guy that grew up steeped in Judaism. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is so strong because he goes, true circumcision that, that pleases God is not of the flesh by men, but it happens in the heart by the Holy Spirit. So when God comes and starts to do a work in our lives, he cuts away the flesh 
the sin patterns, the sin desire. I want to cut the flesh off your heart because I am a God that cares about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. So Paul's whole emphasis when he starts to shift toward what true circumcision is, it's all about heart. Now, again, in Jeremiah 21, God promises later on, I'm going to make a new covenant, and I'm going to give men's, uh, instead of hearts of stone, I'm going to give them hearts of flesh, and I'm going to do a work. Jesus is coming. But initially, salvation was extended to the Jews. You follow me? So when you read this, there's so much meat here. Now, those who confess Christ and place their belief and trust in Jesus alone experience true circumcision of the heart. And that's what God is about. So remember when you were despised? Remember when you were put down? Remember when you lived a life with no respect and dignity? Remember when you had no future and you just lived habitually oppressed? Remember? Oh, I've done so much for you. That's the emphasis. Now, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ? Remember at that time you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel? Remember at that time you were strangers to the covenants of promise? Remember at that time having no hope and without God in this world? Remember? Listen to this. You were without Christ. The Ephesians lived in a system of comparison, violence, blame, slander, accusation, and they played the victim card. And it's so easy to get there. Look at how I've been violated. Look at how we've been put down. And, and it is so easy when you've been oppressed to want to leverage the card of victim. I'm just the victim of my circumstances. And oppression will drive people to live a life of stable misery. I'm miserable, I've been stuck in this misery, but it's all I know, and, and, you, and God wants to free you today. I promise you, he doesn't want you living in stable misery any longer. He, he doesn't want you living a life of depression or oppression. He wants you to be free in Christ. He wants you to know that he's enough. But to me, as I look, and as I've dealt with so many people over these years, it's easy to look and go, I, I see how you got stuck. I, I see how that became a norm for you. Uh, you, you. You've lived in dysfunction and misery for so long, you just thought, well, that's just the way it's supposed to be. And I've seen people live there for a long time, oppressed, without Christ, just beat down. And, and I, I read this quote from Ignatius of Loyola. And I found this so powerful. He said, if our church is not marked by caring for the poor and caring for the oppressed and caring for those who are hungry, we are guilty of heresy. And Barb and I had dinner last night with Ronnie Malin and his wife, who are now on staff with us, and we were talking about our flavor of ministry. It's not professional Christianity. It's one-on-one. It's heart-to-heart. It's getting to know people, Merle, Johnny. It's getting... Just sitting down going, hey, man, what's your story? It, it, it's not this dog and pony show. It's not how many butts can we get in the seat. It's, hey, hey, your story matters. Sir, how, how are you doing? What's going on in your life, Caroline? I mean, that's the way we do ministry. We want to get to know people. Who's hurting? Who's oppressed? Who's hungry? Because if we are not doing that, then everything else is heresy. I don't care how articulate or even knowledgeable of Greek, Hebrew, or anything else we become. It doesn't matter because Jesus came to the least of these. And that's the way we were born. We were born Gentiles. We were dead in our sin. We were helpless. We were lost. We were confused. And we desperately every day need salvation. It's like, Lord, I need you desperately right now. And all of us do. He then says, hey, do you realize that, uh, do you realize you were without Christ? And he goes, do you realize you were aliens? Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel? The commonwealth was the, the citizenship and privileges that people that were Jews had. Aliens. And I, I just, I want you to think about this. Aliens. Alienated. Separated. Not included. 
excluded. When we're born into the world, we're born lost. We have no privileges, no rights. No, God, I, I, outside of you, I have nothing. You follow me? And that's what he's saying. Hey, you guys, you remember when you were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel? You remember when you were excluded and continually separated from God's blessing and protection and love and grace? You remember when y'all used to just be excluded from everything? Yeah. That's who we were. And it creates such a feeling of, of, of worthlessness when you feel that you're just being excluded, dogged, degraded. And when our nationality or the color of our skin is viewed as less than, that, that's a problem. That's the reason we say it's a grace issue, not a race issue, and it's a sin issue, not a skin issue. Because when you can look at a person's, the color of their skin, and start to label them, and discriminate or to dog or to damage. You're not, you're not a recipient of the gospel of grace. You don't even know what that means. He says, you, you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Strangers, you were misfits, you were foreigners. And the Jews were convinced that the Messiah, when he came, would only be for them. That's the reason Jesus shattered their paradigm. And if you go back, many of the Jewish Pharisees of that day would pray, oh God, God, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. That's the prayer they would make. Thank you that I'm not like those people. And it was pride and it was arrogance. And I want you to think about that in your own life. What is the pride? What is the arrogance that exists inside of you? He goes, man, we were without hope. And this describes the life of an unsaved person. They're hopeless. I saw in the news this week that depression is at an all-time high. Yeah, I mean, read the stats, more teen suicide, all this kind of stuff is going on. And I'm reading that, Candace, and I'm like, people are losing jobs and health is failing and everything they've worked for is just seeming to be washed down the drain and people are depressed and I'm just hopeless, man. I'm just hurting. I'm just lost. I'm so confused. I'm so wayward. And you know as well as I do, hope gives meaning to life. When you live a life of being hopeless, I mean, it, it reduces a man down to think my life has no meaning or purpose. And I think people get there at times. There's no hope. And I can tell you this, Tara, you know it. We've had conversations Many of my African-American brothers and sisters have experienced much of this type of oppression over the years. When you get into conversations, which I've had many, of just sitting around on Wednesday night saying, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling? How are you processing this? My buddy Aquarius that was singing up here today, we've had incredible dialogue. I'm like, what have you experienced, bro? And the color of the flesh was looked down on by some. And they felt like we were excluded from certain rights. I mean, Rosa Parks, go back. You're not getting on this bus. Why? The Freedom Riders. I spent a day and a half at the King Center, man, listening to Bernice and MLK, MLK uh, III and others just saying, hey, man, educate us on some of the things that was happening. And going back and reading history with the validation of it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of oppression and pain. There's a lot of oppression and pain in my own family with the poverty of the caste side of the family and my grandpa only finishing the second grade and, and just, they were, they were in bondage. You know what I'm saying? And I look and I'm like, man, y'all are living in oppressed lives. And when you, when you can look down on a person because of the color of their skin or maybe their, their name doesn't just, doesn't sound as normal as yours, Man, you got a problem. In Christ, I want you to get this. I don't want you to miss this. In Christ, verse 13, in Christ, in Jesus alone, in Christ, the wall between all people has been broken down. Jesus has brought in a new covenant. The wall has been broken broken down. He says, but now in Christ, you who once were far off, you now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
through him, through Jesus, through the sacrifice, through the atoning work of the cross, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, insider, outsider, we both have access now in one spirit to the Father. It's broken down. I'm just telling you right now, the, the, the playing field is even. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Every person gets to the Father the same way. It's through Christ. And Jesus has broken down the wall. He goes on to say in verses 14 through 16, for Jesus, he himself is our peace. He is our peace who has made both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man. I'm taking Jews, I'm taking Gentiles, blacks, whites, browns, reds. Through Christ, I'm creating one people. It's not based on the color of their skin. It's based on the circumcision of their heart. And it's based on the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to put inside this person. I'm creating one new person out of the two. I'm making peace. And, and I've come to reconcile both God and one body. In one body. I'm bringing it all in one body. We are members of one body. Anybody that belongs to the body of Christ belongs to everybody else that belongs to the body of Christ. There's only one head and his name is Jesus. It's not a denomination. It's not a color. It's not a language. It's Jesus. And he goes through the cross. I'm killing hostility. Killing hostility. You got any hostility in you today? Are you hostile about anything today? Are you mad about anything today? Because peace overcomes hostility. Do you have any walls built? And I can promise you the times of tension that we're living in right now are crazy. Whether it's socially, whether it's spiritually, whether it's politically, Dallas, this is some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen. And honestly, in my 57 years on this rock, I personally have never seen such hostility in this nation in all my life. And that being said, I've never seen a time with such an absence of peace. I'm talking about even with church folk, I'm talking about the division with church folk. I'm talking about the hostility and hatred with church folk. And this is stuff over the last months that I've gotten, that I've heard, that we're processing through. But I, I want you to hear me. Pastor Tim, we're, we're very upset. We're mad. We aren't coming back. We're not coming back, okay? You opened the church too soon. I heard that from multiple people. Uh, let me tell you why I'm ticked. You didn't open it fast enough. You got it. I've heard this one. You should have never closed it. You caved into pressure. So you know my heart. Appreciate that. Uh you should have mandated mask. Well, you don't even wear a mask. Okay. You never said black lives matter. No, I didn't. Because it's not a statement, it's a movement. But I can tell you, every one of my black brothers and sisters matter big time, but I'm not going to use that statement. And I'm not going to use that statement any more than I do a parenting series, and I call it Planned Parenthood, because that phrase is not a phrase that's attached to a movement. I can't. But you should have done this. Well, you shouldn't have done that. You need to be more political in your uh, sermons. Well, why are you so pro-life in your talks, Tim? I've had people tell me this. You preach too deep. I've had others say, you're watering down the word. 
I, I could go down a list of a variety of things with you, but all I'm saying is tension, hostility, unrest, uncertainty. People just get mad. And I can tell you whatever issue or argument you want to go after, the further away from the essential of the cross you get, the more messy it becomes. When you start to allow the passion of your heart to be on an inferior argument and you run to what you disagree with everybody else and that becomes your focus, you're starting to drift away from the Lord. And I've seen it over the years. Well, I don't like this preacher. I like this one. This one will be. Let, let the Lord sort it out. But I would encourage you, please, tap the brakes. Tap the brakes. Listen to me. Quit being so emotional. Quit being so emotional. I'm not being rude. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being condescending. But I can promise you, from the time God called me into relationship and then called me to minister, I do not allow cultural opinions to drive my messages. God called me to use the book. God called me to go to the 66 canonized books. God called me to preach him and teach him. That's what he called me to do. So if you want me to get on all of these social issues that continue to come and go, I'm not going to do it because God has called me to preach the word, the truth. Because I believe the truth will set you free, not an opinion of an argument will set you free. Now let me just go ahead and step into this one. When God called me to, to pastor here, and we're finishing up 10 years now, praise the Lord. But God called me to pastor. God didn't call me to be a politician. Okay? He didn't call me to be a politician. He called me to shepherd and encourage and lead our people to the Lord and to truth. That's what God's called me to do. And you've got to step back sometimes, even amongst evangelicals, as you look around and go, where's the peace? Where's the unity? Where's the oneness? Where are people coming together in prayer? Why do we spend more time debating whether it's a mask or no mask issue? Why are we spending hours fighting that when we could get together and pray and seek God? Lord, please bring healing to our land. Please bring restoration to our land. So you've got to ask the question, are you building up walls or are you a part of tearing them down and keep them tore down? Now, the wall. Let's hit it. The wall. Barb and I were in Jerusalem, and it's interesting when you go, uh, even back in that time, uh, to Herod's temple. Now, when you look at where the Temple Mount was, even in that day, it was on a plateau kind of high up. And, you, and you've got the Holy of Holies and uh, the most holy place. Uh, it's very interesting when you look at it. When he uses this phraseology, here's what he's talking about. So you had that place that, uh, that were the court of the priests where they could go. Oh, they could get so close to the holy place uh, and, and to the presence and, and where the Ark of the Covenant, all that stuff was kept for so many years. We can, get, we can get so close to the presence of God. And then you had the court of the Israelites. Man, the Israelites and the Jews, could, these men could get so close. And then you had the court of the women. And we're going to let the women get here, but they can't go as far as the men. See, women were still looked down on. They were oppressed. Kids were and then, on the outside, you had the court of the Gentiles. Way out there was the court of the Gentiles. And this stretched around the entire temple, but it stopped before you got to the temple steps, before you could start to head more into the presence of God. And there was this four-foot wall, this slab, and there was an inscription in many places written where people could see it. And this is what it read. No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death. 
So when he's talking about Jesus has broken down this wall and you can come to the Father now, and the Gentiles knew, man, you're outsiders, y'all stay out there, and if you come any closer, you're gonna stink and die. You're unclean people, we don't wanna be around you. Paul goes, do you not realize that everything that the law required, Jesus has accomplished? He's made Jew and Gentile into one people. Now we can come into the presence of God. We have an advocate, a mediator with God the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous, and we can come to the Father in Jesus' name. We don't have to jump through the hoops. And women, you don't have to stay there. Kids, you don't have to stay there. And Gentiles, you don't have to stay there. He has broken down the wall of hostility. That was hostile. It excluded. It put you down. It made you feel inferior. You were an outsider. Oh, you don't have to live in oppression anymore. You don't have to live less than anymore. You can approach God. The veil of the temple is torn and the wall is broken down. Christ is overcome. Jesus is enough. And Jesus is for all people. Listen, a personal encounter with Christ as I start to walk with the Lord, I can promise you this. The Holy Spirit living inside of us will drive out hatred. The Holy Spirit, the peace of Christ, will drive out hostility. And you can tell whether people are spirit-filled and spirit-controlled by how much peace they bring to a space. In the midst of chaos and confusion, do people want you there? Do they want you there? It's like, is this dude gonna come in and much like Jesus represent, represent Jesus and go, shh, peace, 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 peace. Just wait, be still. Calm down. Or are you known for stepping into conflict and bringing a grenade? I'm either bringing the grenade or I'm bringing a, the gospel. And some people walk in and just, it blows up even more. He goes, man, you are a recipient of God's peace. I'm not going to go through all of it, but 19 through 22. So then, so then, so then, you were no longer strangers and you're no longer aliens. You were fellow citizens with the saints. You were a fellow citizen now. You've got citizenship in heaven. That's where your home really is. You're members of the household of God. Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. Man, we're being joined together with all the saints in Christ daily. And we're growing into the holy temple of God. God doesn't dwell in buildings made with bricks and sticks and in these facilities. He now dwells in human hearts. And that's what he's saying. We're citizens of heaven and we're now the temple of God. So wherever we're at, the temple of God, the presence of God, and the power of God, let it just let God's presence and peace out. When people see you, that's the reason Jesus said, when, when I see you, I see the Father. And people should see the joy of the Lord in you. Hey, when I see you, I see the, the presence. You're the temple of God. You're where God dwells now. Ah, we're going to break that down in a few weeks. But he talks about he wants to see the Holy Spirit just dwell. I'm like, yes. Here's my clothes as a church family full of diverse people from different social, economic, and ethic, ethnic backgrounds, we are to unite on Jesus and on the Word. That is where we have to unite. We are the people of God. You're no longer an outsider. You're an insider. By grace, God's brought you in. But if grace was good enough to save you, you've got to trust that grace is good enough to lead you. Let me give you a little vision casting of where we're going. I want you to hear this because of what I'm talking about. Next week, we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 3. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's going to talk about how the mystery has been given to the Gentiles. It's phenomenal. Then I'm going to come back on the 11th and we're going to wrap up Ephesians 3 
and talk about this whole concept of Christ dwelling in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then, on the 18th and 25th, I'm going to tap the brakes on Ephesians. For two weeks, we're going to talk about, does God care how I vote? And we're going to look at kingdom concepts and kingdom values that should drive us to align ourselves with kingdom values, not a party and not person and not a political movement, but we should know how to vote. We should be clothed in righteousness and we should vote according to kingdom values, not pressure, not intimidation. God cares how we vote. Then that Sunday before the election, November 1st, 2nd, whatever it is, We're going to pick up Ephesians 4, and Paul writes to the believers in Ephesians 4, now, I want you to preserve the unity of the Spirit. God cares that we preserve the unity of the Spirit, that we be united, that we come together on Him and the Word. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.